now being recorded. <sighs> Can you imagine? Oh my gosh, modern technology. I mean, girl, here we are on a phone call. I don't understand what it is, but well, it's, the lady it's, said it's, it's being recorded. It's being recorded, you know. It's it's uh, it was something that I picked up at the CIA. Um, I have a when question. I was working there. Yeah. Should I have you on speaker or not? You should not have me on speaker. That won't sound very good. Okay, just a second. I'm taking you off speaker, but I'm connecting to the Wi-Fi. Okay. So wait, who then has access to this recording? So it'll get downloaded to my computer, and then I'll send it to Jeremy. Are you, because you're at school? I, girl, girl, I didn't sleep last night. I, at like 6 a.m., I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go back. So I got in the car, and I drove up here. Um, because I drove down on yes wow, I drove down yesterday after what's yesterday. What it was yesterday, Tuesday? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I drove down because we were interviewing for that apartment that huh. you saw with us. And? and well, the guy was like, I'm gonna let you know by noon tomorrow you're currently the first you're like my my top pick. Um, I think he might have been interviewing some other people. You know, it's like he has to look at our financials and all of that. He didn't do that wood thing that was on the wall. So he had just left it there. It was already there. And he was like, he's like, it's, I can tell that it's glued onto the wall. So if I take that off, it's going to be like a job. Um, and so I just need to think about it and. <sighs> He's like a guy who's lived in New. He grew up in New York. He he like owns different buildings. It's just like him and this other guy. They don't have a landlord at any of their buildings. Like he's he spends two weeks out of the month in Florida. He's like has tattoos everywhere. He's like a, one of those real New Yorkers who's like kind of neurotic. Where he's like yeah, because Jeremy's housing court came up on the when you do a credit check on him from when he was dealing with that loft thing. Uh oh. So. Jeremy explained that, like, that it was, you know, these two people who were taken to court and him and this other mm-hmm. girl were, like, tenants renting from those two people. So why, right. why their names are on it. Um, but he wasn't directly involved. So he felt comforted by that, but he still wanted to tell us a story about how he went with a friend of his, a friend of his friend's, someone's dad when he was a child. He's like, I had to go to housing court with my friend's dad. When I was a kid, I never want to be back in there again. And I was like, you you won't be. I mean, he was just a real, he's like real, you know, New Yorker. I think those are the best kind of landlords to find because they're like not beholden to the system. And generally they keep prices a little more reasonable, though. I think your apartment is kind of at market price in a way. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. But whatever. I, I mean, it's the, it looks like the thing about the wood on the wall is like, it's really like, just do it. I mean, what are they talking about? Who cares if it's glue? You can't let people move into an apartment that has, like, art projects on the wall. You have to fix No. It. Yeah, big time. I was, it's really, so, you know, that's what we're, we're waiting to find out about. Like, you know, and, and I, I had brought up, I had asked Jeremy to bring up, because we forgot to do it at the time, and then later I was like, I really wish 
I would have said, like, can the rent be cheaper if I sign a two-year lease? And right. so I was like, can you bring that up with your friend who's the broker? Because we'll also have to pay this broker fee. Like, all of that stuff just feels so, oh, it's just hideous, you know? It's like, and I said to him last night, I was like, I've lived in New York for 20 years. I, at this point, know when I see an apartment that I want to be my home. And I've had one in, like, the last 10 years that really felt like a home, and that was my last apartment on Wither Street. Right. Um, so that's the last of, and that's, and then I've lived in a bunch of apartments that were like, this will do until I can figure something else out. Is there um, another apartment that you may get that's like, in case you don't get this one? We saw another apartment last night that was really cute. That's a one bedroom that, you know, so it's smaller and it's kind of back in my old neighborhood, which I don't like. Um, Is it significantly cheaper? Like $400 less a month. Okay. So, like, in this way, but, you know, and it's going to have laundry in the building for free. Um, It's a top floor. It's just the things that I love about this apartment and why I really want it is I love that skylight. I love how much space there is. I love the back patio, and I love that neighborhood. Yeah, Um, it's a civilized thing. It's a real, it's a real home. Like, it's a real, like, this is where I would live as my home. And so, you know, he says he's going to let us know by noon. And, you know, it's like 1115 or whatever. Oh, Um, my God. Oh, my God. I couldn't sleep. Jeremy couldn't sleep. I'm going to briefly, I briefly have to, I mean, the Taconic is insane. Driving down yesterday, I had like, and then getting into the city, I've never honked my horn more than I did yesterday. People would just pull in front like so quickly and like make these insane turns. And it was so crazy. And what's terrifying about driving is the people who do that, when you see their car, it looks like they've been in five car accidents. (laughs) So what's wild to me is that people are or even today driving back up, I was like, I'm not going to take the Taconic. I'm going to take the whatever, the other thing is that goes to New Jersey. And the way people drive has made me realize a couple things. Um, that I'm a good driver. Uh, that a lot of people are insane. Um, that it is miraculous that more pedestrians aren't hit by cars. And um, that there aren't more car pileups when people like zigzag between cars without using their blinker, like on the Taconic, which is like a creaky old sleepy hollow esque type road that has all these potholes. People fly down that at like cars were going by me that had to have been going at least 85 miles an hour. Wow. I go it's like my mom. Probably. Probably. <laughs> exactly. I mean, and there were a couple of times where I started to pick up the pace. So I was going with them and I'd look down and I'd be like, I'm going 90 miles an hour. I'm like a road. There was like two moments yesterday on the Taconic where I was like, my wheels aren't on the ground. Like, wow. this is a full like, we, I was like this. No, 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 I can't. I'm not going, I'm not going to go as fast as these people like who I guess, you know, have nothing to live for. Um, I want this new apartment. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So driving is really crazy, and I'm planning on just taking the train tomorrow and taking the train back. I don't driving to and from New York is it's not. No, no, no. Don't hate the train, and I hate Penn Station, but the way people drive in New York is insane. It took me 45 minutes just to get out of the city today, and that was at like 7 a.m. I I like being on the train. I like once I'm on the train. You do? Well, unless someone like sits next to me, which can also be fine, especially on Amtrak, it's fine. But like, I don't. Once you're on the train and it's moving, you're like, bye, everything. I'm here. Yeah, I hate the getting there. Like, I hate the station more than anything in the world, except driving the Taconic. I guess. Is Um, this the podcast right now? Are we doing? Is this the podcast? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> and Jack and Reed details the hideous anxieties of transportation and apartment renting. <laughs> yes. People can relate. People, people are listening to this on the MTA, and it's probably stuck somewhere right now while they're listening to it. You know? Oh, my Like, gosh. transportation is just <gasps> the other thing I realized while driving today. I was like, you know what? If something happened in the city, it wouldn't matter if I had my car there or not. You can't get out. Like, the movies where, like, there's a zombie apocalypse and somehow people have, like, made it out of cities to the country is bullshit. Because you would never get out. We would, Jack, because we would run. What? On foot. I would not. I would totally just do it on foot. I'd be like, I'm not getting in a vehicle. We're doing it on foot. If we have to swim across the river, no big deal. Yeah, you would have to do it on foot. Like, it is, there's no way in a car. Like, you're, there's no way. There's no. so much congestion just at, like, a 7 a.m. on a casual Wednesday. I'm like ready a zombie to across the East River or the Hudson. I can do it. You know what? I actually feel you really could. I don't. I know I, I could. I guess. I, <laughs> I know I, what I love is. It's like 11 my time, which means it's 8 your time, I guess. <laughs> yeah, you're the go, and it's like 8, and you're like, I know I could swim across the Hudson. I know it. <laughs> Even <laughs> though I actually, like, I've basically not gotten out of bed since I got here. I'm, like, going to have that sore soon. But, you know, <laughs> I, I know I could that. swim across the Hudson. <laughs> I love that you've been staying in bed in San Francisco. That sounds amazing. I wish <laughs> that's what I was doing. I wish I was so just like waspish yesterday with Jeremy, like after we interviewed the apartment, because Jeremy was quiet, like just more quiet. And I was like, I'm the best tenant you'll ever have. Like, oh, I took ballet class in the morning because like friends asked me to. And then I informed. Wait, who asked you to? You know, friends in the company who I've known forever. They're like, we're taking class. You should come take class. And I'm like, mm, class. And, like, yeah. Justin and Patricia are here, and they're like, we're going to take class. I was like, okay. So then I just informed my friends Lauren and Joe. I was like, I will be coming to your house tonight to do laundry, and we will be watching Lost in Space. <sighs> and so I willed it to happen, and it's exactly what happened. And then we all fell fast asleep on the couch watching Lost in Space, which was, like, my dream come true. And I was like, all I want to do here is sleep. I love that. Wait, is it Joe Walsh who you're talking about? Yeah. Well, I haven't met him yet, but, you know, I feel connected because of Instagram. No, he had a great idea that 
he and I, well, we were talking about how he and I are going to interview some of the Unbound characters, the Unbound Festival, and that he would then try to inhabit your personality and be you for part of it. And I was like, I think that's a really good idea. And he was like, and then we'll describe Jack to our guests and they'll try to inhabit your personality as well. <laughs> I mean, good luck, everybody. It's real. <laughs> I, it's like, I love Jack Ferber realness as a drag, you know? Yeah. Like, these, ba- these ballet kids being like, I'm going to be like Jack Ferber. Great. Well, and you only know. only based on description, which would be amazing. Like, hey, Arthur Pita, this is this guy, and this is what he's like. Now pretend to be him. <laughs> Did you say Arthur Pita? Yeah. Oh, he's there? Uh, yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah. Jack, they're all here. They're all here. They're Who's all everyone? Here. It's Justin Peck. <laughs> Justin Peck, Christopher Wielden, Dwight Roden, Kathy Marsden, Annabelle Lopez Ochoa, Matthew Bourne will be here shortly to join Arthur Pita. Um, who else? Is Matthew doing anything or he's just showing up for his boyfriend? No. Yeah, he's just being the boyfriend. Um, uh-huh. Who else are the choreographers? Quinn, oh no, um, um, God, Miles Thatcher, who's already in the company, so he didn't have to travel to be here. Edward Liang. Um, Stanton Welsh, um, I'm Miss Alonzo King. I mean, every time you turn a corner, you're like, uh-huh, hello, yes, my past, hello, I'm scared, what's happening? Um, and then, like, every single designer who designs ballet is here, and, uh, there's literally a room in the basement of the Opera House that they've set up as, like, Project Runway workroom for correcting costumes so all of the builders of each of the designers has also been flown in because san francisco ballet doesn't have their own costume shop so they've set up this room to be like corrections and alterations for all the designers and so everyone's down there just like trading stories that sounds so fun it's really fun because the choreographers walk in they talk to their designers about what needs to happen. They walk out. The designers roll their eyes, and then we all just like you know laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Yay! It's really oh, that's good. So fun. Well, you and Harriet should also. I mean, maybe what we'll do for next week is you and Joe Walsh. Joe can pretend to be me, and you guys can interview people. And then you and Harriet can maybe interview some of the designers. Oh yeah. Of like, like what's you know, and then the challenges, the the challenges, you know, strug to funk. And then um, the next week you can give me a review of the show. Oh, yeah. Well, my God, Jack. Oh, girl. Oh, girl. I mean, Have you I've seen already any of the pieces seen. Yet? Uh, yes, I've seen a few of them. And um, it's going to be <laughs> challenging because I. Uh, <laughs> There's only so much that I'm going to be able to say, but, yeah, I mean, it's hard when, like, the whole premise of this festival is to, like, do something unprecedented, and Helgi was really like, I want to make a festival that outdoes all of the ballet festivals that have ever happened and bring in all of the most innovative and what have you, but, you know, when you're, like, a man, like, a director in your 70s and you're relying on you know, your, you and your wife's experience in traveling around and seeing things or it's sort of like their experience is, is limited. And so yeah. what it actually is, is just like, and I'm trying to be positive about this because 
there are good things about it, and it's nice to be around all these people and have a discourse about what's happening in the world of ballet now. But I think what we're seeing now is, like, the moment before a new guard is ushered into the ballet world. and Because yep, most, of, most of the people at this festival are very established, and, like, I know what to expect of their work. And yep. um, it's not like I don't know that we're going to see anything, like, mind-blowing or anything that's going to like redirect the course of ballet but I think there'll be some some good things and the pieces that we're working on like I'm I'm really happy to watch and Justin's piece is really fun and also there's a section of it that's so beautiful that like I during the first run of it on Tuesday I turned to Harriet as soon as it ended because she was sitting right behind me and I said I was like, that was really good. And she was like, I'm crying. She was like fully in tears. <laughs> wow. And, um, so, you know, there She's are just like. tired. <laughs> oh, no. Like, Jack, it I'm is kidding. like a moment of like where you're like everything just happened all at once. Because Sarah Patton, who's a dancer in this company, and, and Luke Ingham do this duet that will break your heart. But also it's just sort of like it's a series of phrases that repeat and repeat and repeat. And it's like really overwhelming. So um, there's going to be good things and there's going to be things where you're like, wow, where are we and why are we still doing this? And um, sure. Well, I mean, I feel anything that's established, I think that, that that is felt, you know, I mean, I think yeah. it's, and I do think we're at this kind of certainly a saturation point. And I mean, when you just rattled off all of those names of all of those choreographers who are all established, whose work, you're correct. Like I do, I, I know, I know it. I've, I've seen a, a fair amount of each of them to have an idea of what, to, as you said, to expect. And I think it's one of those challenges of, um, you know, I want money for sure, but I'm always reminded of that expression, money walks in and art walks out. And Jack, then this is like the, this is it. This is, yeah. it's not, <laughs> when I'm, I'm looking, I kind of like, I, I only know the figures financially for my contribution and, and even just in production costs for having the 12 sets of costumes made, we're talking about close to a million dollars. So, I mean, that's just one aspect of this festival. That's not including the Wait, just one piece is a million dollars? No, no, no. Just the, if you added up how much, it, how much they're putting out just to have the costumes made. And that's not I mean, including for all the of these choreographers. Piece. Right. For the 12 choreographers, right, right, I right. know, like, it's a huge sum of money. And then to pay all the design fees and then to pay for all of the travel and housing and per diem, like, it's a million dollars just for costumes. So that's not included. It's a, it's, this, is a, this is an enormous financial um, expense for the company. And I'm kind of like, okay. And we had a dinner the other night on stage for all the all of the creatives and in my mind when we were invited I was like oh this is so nice it'll just be like all the creatives sitting together getting to like reminisce and talk about their you know processes but what it actually was was a dinner for us to 
sit at tables with all the incredibly rich people who've donated money. So we were all totally separated from one another, and we right. were sat at tables with people who were just like, now what is it that you do exactly? Oh, interesting. And it was like, right. this is not this is not what we wanted, and this is like not the process, but it is kind of like what a company like the San Francisco Ballet has to do in order to continue raising money because they have to make these board members feel that they are important and that they are engaged in the process. But Well, I mean, that's that's like, you know, gala life, honey. Like, we're in gala yeah. season as well. You know, like yeah, everyone's gala is happening right now, and that's just part of you put the, the funders next to the artists so that they do indeed. I, I understand the principle, and I think it's a really great one. I think the place where it's always tricky is, um, you know, it reminds me of uh, that. And I feel like, you know, ballet also has this interesting thing where, like, a dancer's sponsored by someone, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, it's, you know, I feel like it's, it's they kind of, they try to push it to the ends in a show like Flesh and Bone, but it always reminds me right. of Showgirls when she goes to do the boat show. You know? Right. And then right. she's like, I'm, I'm going to be paid $1,000. And he's like, yeah, just to represent your hotel and then she gets there and realizes there's other terms to that agreement um you know there's many layers to that metaphor of the boat show but the the boat shows exist girl yeah having us all to that dinner was a bit of the boat show and you know it was really luck of the draw because harriet and i were luckily seated together but we happened to be seated at a table with sort of unbearable people um, but a lot of our other friends and colleagues were seated at had a good experience and were sat next to people who were fun. But, my God, we were right next to a woman and her husband who definitely hated each other and wanted to kill each other. And also wow. who were so unbelievably entitled in terms of how they felt about their involvement with the ballet, saying things like, oh, Sorry, you just broke up a little bit. How they felt about what? Their um, involvement. Uh, involvement with the ballet and how... Yeah entitled they were to the privileges that come along with their donations and saying things like, of course they know my dietary restrictions. I mean, I've done so much for them. And it's like, okay, let's calm down. Like the way that these people feel about what is owed to them for the money that they give to the ballet. Like I heard from the management that like on the evening of that dinner, Alonzo King canceled half an hour before because he'd had a meeting with his own company that had gone late. And so the table that he was meant to sit at, which had been purchased for like $100,000 by some woman who was really counting on having Alonzo King at this table with her rich friends, when he canceled, she was like absolutely furious. And that whole situation had to be managed. And it's like these people the money they're giving is totally contingent on them having their whims meant or met rather. And I mean, it really, so it really can be. It's and, not, and, self- and, I mean, it's, it's not selfless giving like on behalf of the art form. It's really like, I'm giving you this money, but so, and I know that's not always, I know some people give money and they don't want to be involved in the like social aspects of it all. But like, the people we were sitting next to, that wasn't it. And one of the women we were sitting next to was very new to the, like, philanthropic scene. And she was, like, mm-hmm. younger and had on, like, this incredible Gucci outfit, which I was like, oh, that's fun. But then mm-hmm. the whole dinner, 
like her contribution was like she was like I don't really know like what this is all about etc but like I'm having a good time and I get to wear these outfits and then she started showing me all her clothes on her telephone and initially I was like this is amazing and then I was like are you okay I was really like this is what your life is I was I mean it was a shock the amount of money that's gone into her wardrobe is like more money than I'll ever see in my life I mean, that's the the class disparity is always, you know, a painful thing. I mean, that was, yeah, obviously for me at least the whole point in Shamb. But um, I was thinking too, as you're talking, I remember going to, you know, the Armory show in New York, and I went to, I was, I went to the, like opening gala. I used to go to it, like every year, and I went one year, and I think I was like, it was that year. I was like, I think I'm good. Because the the mini burgers came through, and I was pushed by, and I looked, and it was this really just like dressed to the nines older woman, and she mm-hmm. was just she had to get that mini burger right away. And I was, and I we've said this on the podcast before. It's like the number of times I've been like actually like pushed when I go to like state theater for the Met versus like Abrams Art Center. Right. It's like, it is a thing of entitlement. And I think, you know, as we're, all of these things are reaching these saturation points. We're reaching these saturation points in terms of what's known and subscription audiences. And I think companies that I'm interested in and company models that I'm interested in and certainly choreographers and theater makers I'm interested in are those who are thinking outside of a subscription audience box. Right. Um, and indeed that is the avant-garde and the avant-garde, I think, you know, and then what happens is probably, you know, eventually start making money and you become more, uh, established and, you know, maybe that all falls apart then. I was thinking about the grace lately. I've been, it was, I've just been thinking about Cunningham and Jeremy hadn't seen Hail the New Puritan and he was uh, freaking out about Michael Clark. And I was like, yeah, well, Michael came from here. And if you look at this and... I was just thinking about how, like, just the grace that Cunningham had to just, the way it, the way it went. It was just, I think about him all the time yeah. during situations like this when you're dealing with all of, like, a like collaboration on a massive scale. But collaboration in the context of the ballet world is often so stifling and so choreographer is king um, modeled. So... It, I think about him when I'm in moments of distress, and I'm like, there are other possibilities. It's just the ballet world isn't so resistant to that kind of collaboration and that kind of system. Um, but uh, I mean, and not only the ballet world, but it's like I, there's you know companies that are still pushing to maintain being relevant who have. T- with totally disbanding on the genesis of that company. You know, I, it's like right. the thing of, I think, the the purity of intent that the Cunningham company had and maintained and then allowed to let go with, Yeah, I think, is something that, I don't know, I just, I really, I look at the companies that try to continue when the the, the leader of that company's gone and it's, it's just really weird, 
you know, and you and you see this watering down process that then ends up creating this kind of med- medium contact yeah. is really it's a real struggle. Um, yeah, I don't really understand it. I I I feel like in other art forms, when the artist is dead, the art then exists as a legacy and as something to be revisited and appreciated. But somehow, like, there's this notion in dance that that the, this organization must continue on and these people employed by it need to have uh, – need to continue to be inside of the experience of this person's work. And it's like, but they're dead. Like, what are we doing? So confusing. Yeah, the kind of – and also the kind of thing of – I don't know if the, if the new artistic directors then think that they know what that choreographer would have wanted to happen with a company, or they've just decided that, like, they think they know what's best now to happen. Right. Well, and it's, I was just it's gonna... tricky. It's really, it's really, it's, uh, it's hard, you know. I, I, I think the people that work for these choreographers are so afraid that the work will disappear outside of the outside of the constructs of the company itself and it's Mm -hmm. like well no I mean you need to set up an organization that can educate and archive and continue to make sure the work exists in a museum way because like that is what happens to art when the artist is gone like it is then protected for the future of art viewers to look at but dance because it's so contingent on being performed you know I do think that there's a system where it can continue to be performed it's just I don't think the model of the dance company itself needs to continue I think that what the Cunningham Foundation has really nailed is that they were like we don't have a dance company anymore but we do have a rigorous education branch that's going to continue to teach the ballets to young people, continue to have showings of the work for people, and it's going to continue to stage the work on other companies that are capable of doing it so it can continue to be seen around the world. But there's no need to have this group of dancers who who are the you know the vehicle for Cunningham. There is no vehicle for Cunningham anymore. He's gone. So why do we continue to have the vehicle for Martha Graham, the vehicle for Jose Limon? It's sort of like these works can be protected and restaged. And I know that there's this thought that, like, the style has to stay inside of, like, a small group of dancers so that it can be, like, hyper-specific and and really um, protected by the people who worked with her. But I don't know. I'm skeptical. Well, the thing that I think is, I mean, I, I, I mean, in, in terms of using the Martha Graham Company as that example, I mean, I think when something gets, I was thinking about like how you wouldn't, I can't imagine if they were like, we've decided to reimagine this balancing piece, like we're gonna do the piece, but we decided to like change the music, <laughs> or like, right. you know, like, can you imagine if it was like, um, I'm trying to think of like a small, uh. A smaller scale. I would like always just want to say Stravinsky Violin Concerto because it's the piece that I always most want to see. But you know, like if it was um, uh, like duo concertant, and 
uh, they were like, but we decided to like use this other music. It would be right. like what? Like it was uh, yeah. so because they did Exhausted at the and and the night I saw Graham, which I was so happy to get to see that solo. I love. I mean, I the Graham solos, the Graham early solos are really so incredible, and it's you're really able to see where this language is getting built from. Right. But then the music was like there was a sound of like rain, like a rain stick, and <laughs> like this deep bass, like <laughs> happening. And I was so confused because yeah. it took it outside of the of of where it had come from in terms of I mean if you if we go back to the music that she was interested, especially with Louis Horst, I can't imagine Louis Horst being like, Let's put a rain stick on this, you know? Yeah. I was just like totally. And then it reframes this solo with like the sound of like, you know, uh like a, 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 a like easy listening waiting room music or something, you know, and you're like, what's happening? Very upsetting. So it's um, an ecstasis is this whole uh, uh, it's about, it's all this relationship with the pelvis and the spine, and I was I was so just lost inside yeah. of that. Um, I I I feel like mm, one situation especially with this sort of the New York thing that's happening and even now with living choreographers like Paul Taylor and Stephen Petronio and David Parsons where they're starting to like see their own kind of frailty and their own limitations as they approach old age and close to death like Paul Taylor but they're like I need to start bringing in I need to start turning this into a repertory company it's like why why I mean New York City Ballet New York City Ballet is is an anomaly in that they are designed to be a vehicle for the works of Balanchine and Robbins, but Balanchine never at any point was like, I'm the sole master of this company. It is a company designed to perform only my work. He was always interested in having it be a repertoire company and having the work of many choreographers. And also, he was someone that encouraged people to explore whatever choreographic talents they might have, and he put their work on stage. So... He, he from like the get, the, the get go was like, this is a company that's designed to be a vehicle for choreographers. Right. So it's a different situation. It actually. It's a totally works. different situation. Yep. Yep. It is. And again, like, I can't picture something like, let's reimagine this Balanchine piece, you know? No, but like, I did I, think the other day I was like, I was saying to Justin, like, it would be interesting to do like an evening of works that are exploration, like reimaginings of some of the iconic scores that Balanchine used, like in still in the context of New York City Ballet or to juxtapose two versions or something. I think, I mean, I also think it would be interesting to, you know, because we are in this, I mean, where we're at in terms of post-internet, I think it's interesting to look at pieces and draw inspiration from them and make a piece from that. I mean, I do want to make a piece that is inspired by Serenade. But I think it's because in the way that it functions as, um, well, well, you know, if we're going to make pieces that are inspired by literature or uh, films and, and poems, then great. I mean, if 
this is art too. This can be, I mean, I think I'm more curious in changing the form. Like how could Serenade be a play? Um, but, uh, yeah, I, there's so, there's what's also true with big money is it stays with what's safe. You know, it really yeah. makes sure that it stays in a very safe zone. Yeah, I love it. I've, I finished Lost in Space already, Parker, and I talk about it every day. Um, <laughs> she's, so amazing on it but she i can't wait to have her on the podcast i was like you'll have to do it now but we were um, we struggled last night because episode one i was like what's happening and then did you get to her at the end we got to her at the end and then episode two started and then the three of us fell asleep like right away because it was late and then when we woke up when i at one point i like looked over and everyone was asleep including the dog and i was like i don't know I'm not going to be able to ask anybody what I missed, so I'm going to have to restart at episode two again to keep going. I mean, the sh- that they have her on the show. She is doing a, a level of acting that is so incredible. It's yeah, her, so amazing. her like her distress was really um, upsetting at the at the beginning of at the end of episode one. I was like, ooh. Well, she's able to, I mean, she's playing this villain that's not a villain. I mean, I said to her, I was like, you're playing a, a, someone who's lived in New York for 20 years. Like, she's just does whatever right. she can to survive. She's surviving. And, and she's, oh, God, it's amazing. And she just, this stuff that I just know her, and we've, I've, I know it because I've talked with her about it, that are, like, full stop her choices. Um, and then, and there's things I really like about the show. Like, I love that it's so female-driven. I love that in the opening episodes especially, it's really driven by the two teenage girls, that they're right. that they're really, like, the heroes of it. Right. And then you, but then you do see these safe, you know, these safe choices that are going on. For example, it's really like, I was thinking about the TV show Enlightened yesterday and uh, how incredible that was. Like, it uh, was so good. I was thinking about the lesbian HR woman. Like, that Mike White, such a genius. There's that HR woman who she's like trying to, get to help her and then when she finds out she's a lesbian she makes all these sort of like horrible like liberal comments that are wrong and it's really that show I was like wow that is a show that literally covered everything and again canceled it had to be canceled they were like they couldn't stand because it was dealing with big pharma it was dealing with the one percent it was dealing with corporations it was dealing with the destruction of the planet it was dealing right. with mother relationships, lost parents, Al-Anon, yeah. alcoholism, the myth of recovery. Like it dealt with all of these things and people, it's just that people want to like get in a vitamin capsule and you know, like float, you know. At, they just, at the opening of Lost in Space, I was like, why is the mom wearing so much makeup on the spaceship? And then I was like, why is the dad like a dollar store version of Michael Fassbender? So I was kind of like, it w- I was struggling. I was like, who are these people? This feels like Canadian TV. Well, it was shot in Vancouver. And it feels like they hired a Canadian cast, except for Parker. And maybe, I guess that woman, Molly, she's been on, um, she was on House of Cards. House of Cards. I never saw The that. mom? Is that the mom? Yeah, the mom, yeah. I mean, Parker, oh, she's such a genius. You should read her New York Times interview that came out yesterday. It was so, she says things in it that are, 
Also, she says my favorite thing about her book that she's writing, which is, um, I texted it to her right away. I was like, this is, this is the line she put on the front of the book. It's a little bit tell all, a little bit I'll never see you again. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. And she does, you know, but it made, it was exciting. And in the interview with her, they also interviewed Selma Blair. You'll gag when you see the scene between her and Selma Blair as her sister. You'll die. Like the choices that Parker makes are incredible. And Selma's amazing. But it's almost as you know, it was exciting for, she says something to the effect of it was exciting for me to see Parker get cast in a series where all of her depth and all of these incredible choices she makes will be utilized because it gave me hope that maybe I'll be cast on something like that. So, you know, there's this hope that we'll be able to have, you know, I think more dimensional things happening in the mainstream, but you know, it's it's taking its time. Like, the things that are the most dimensional that I've seen, like, don't, they just don't stay funded. Like, I can't, again, like, I always think about the Bridget Everett show wasn't picked up. It's ridiculous. Ridiculous. It was the best TV show. Like, that was the best comedy, heartwarming medicine thing. And this country needs that. You know, has an amazing career who's like very specific, but and yet still manages <clears throat> sort of specific in that Parker Posey way, and yet manages to always be in like things that are clearly making lots of money, but she still gets to be dynamic. Is Laura Dern? Like, yep. she she did Enlightened and it got canceled, but she's also on Big Little Lies, or what is that show called? Is that right? Big Little Lies. Yeah, Big Little and Lies. And she also, I just on the plane, I watched this older movie like teen teen tragedy romance called The Fault in Our Stars and she plays the mom in it and she's amazing. I mean and not just, to mention Jurassic Park. Totally. And she's I mean, in the new Star Wars movie. It's amazing that she's all she's, of David Lynch. You know, it's that amazing. She's like blue velvet where you know, which she's, is like it opens has with like Tom McLaughlin finding really a ear that buzzes and yeah. she did Jurassic Park. You know, Laura Dern's really the kind of, you know, that's the the thing. And I think, you know, and what I love and what I've said to Parker is, like, I that she's in a series that, like, it's – and I – you know, but you want that to open up for more than, you know, at these shows, like, in terms of other TV or stuff that's on, it's like, I just I, – I love Broad City. And I'm like, well, that's the best thing on. But mm-hmm. it's like – Enlightened actually was an amazing – I think about Enlightened. I think I know you haven't watched Twin Peaks, but that's really like, oh gosh, if only more TV and film ha- was like and was like Mike White and uh, David Lynch and but, and it's, it's exciting. I want to think of like Tiffany Haddish. You know, it's yeah, like, I rewatched kind of Girls Trip from Bed the other day because she was it was on HBO. It's really her movie. It's really yeah. she really she showed up to work for that. She really did. And then Abby and Alana, I mean, geniuses. so just so good. Just true geniuses. Alana Wexler. I hope she's on the podcast someday. Um, oh, God. Well, I'm deaf. What am I seeing? I'm not seeing anything. I'm literally, I'm seeing student shows right now. I'm like living at Bard pretty much. I'm, I really hope that we find out we get this apartment today and that that part can be over. And then I'll just keep teaching really 
just teaching, teaching, teaching. I on Monday that Monday is like so crazy because it's it's a long day. My Monday's a really long day. And after my second class, when I was walking out the door, I said, "See you in a couple days, Queens." I was like, "Wow, I'm really." Oh God. Do you know what's weird? I have a feeling that you're not going to get the apartment, but I hope I'm wrong. You have a feeling that we're not going to get the apartment. Yeah. Uh, I'm sorry. I really, just, I really was, want you to be it came wrong. To me. Yeah, I might be because I'm not empathic, and so could be wrong. Yeah. Well, when you when you when you said that, I started to right before you said that, I started feeling it too. Yeah, but you know, last year I was convinced that we hadn't gotten the CPA residency, and then we did. Really? You were like, I know we didn't get it. Yeah, because it had been like six months, and I was like, well, there's no, I mean, it has to be over. Like, we didn't get it, and then we got it. And then you got it. You know, I just, I really hope we get it. Oh, poor, the poor people listening to this being like, I don't want to hear this person whine anymore about an apartment. But it's just New York real estate and having a home, it's so exhausting. And I've lived, mm-hmm. I can't even count how many apartments I've lived in. 14, 15? I've lived in New York for yeah. 20 years, and I've probably lived in 14 apartments. Have you watched Wild Wild Country? Of course. Oh. Of course. Did you finish it? Oh, yes. I mean, what is her Wait, name? I'm Sheila. Wait, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you watched it, and we can talk about it, because I totally have neglected to mention. Sheila's my favorite. I mean, and I've talked to Harriet a lot about it, because... Harriet's like kept saying like you like Sheila. I was like I like Sheila. I mean I think she's she is deranged a little bit, but also like she's a little. She's, she's not she's not out of her mind. She's very much in her mind, and she's hell bent on getting what she wants. I mean uh, she was up for like people being murdered. Oh, she's like if I have to kill people to make you know to like have success inside of this commune i'll do it and i'm sort of like wow like you've all lost the plot and it's amazing (laughs) they really once they like start having machine guns you're just like oh man sheila is she's amazing she's so crazy and the bogwan who was just like what i want is all the money and i don't have to do my job anymore (laughs) can you imagine it was really it he was like and i guess you know, enlightenment. He well, he's like, like I, I want to be like on morphine and not have to yeah. feel anything and not have to do my job and drive yeah. around in a Rolls Royce. And I want my doctors to just kill me when I'm not even 60 years old because like, who cares? He, it was really, it was really real. It was, I, the part, you know, I know they didn't show it, but in my mind, I feel like I saw them putting beavers in blenders. Oh, my. Totally. I was like, they didn't. You know, like, I know that they didn't, but I, because, you you know, there's all that found, there's all, like, the footage of them, like, doing military training or making a lake. And then. No, when I saw the secret passages in Sheila's house, I was like, oh, these people would, these people would do anything. 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 Any, oh, it gives like, me chills up and down my spine. Calls they would really do, amazing. stress me out. When they did the thing where they just basically stole all the homeless people from around the world, and then when they didn't need them because their plot, like, 
got fucked up and then they just shipped them away. I was like, yep, yep, you guys are, you've completely lost the plot. They lost their minds. I mean, oh my God. It's interesting. You know, the part where it's like the woman and she, she's the one who like gets granted like something so she can go see her son or whatever. The Australian woman. Amazing. Uh huh. But, but you know how, in the, like, in the show, they, like, have the sentimental music, and then they show, like, a cartoon of her going to the courthouse? Yeah. Like, even the even the make, the, the way the documentary was made was bizarre. Like, when all of a sudden it shifted <laughs> to, like, cartoon of, like, weird courtroom drawings of her outside of the courthouse that, like, they had so done weird. in production. I yes. was like, A of all what's happening, and B of all, I feel nothing for this woman. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, I don't. I'm not, and she's like, and they were, like, even when she's like, and everyone was crying for me, I was like, you're still a narcissist. I know. I actually was a little bit moved by her story because of her son's, like, brain tumor, but mm, I had also I just just, felt like she was a full narcissist all the way. Like, her and Sheila are, like, they're, like, the world revolves around me, which is what most (sighs) of the people in the cult thought. However, those townspeople were also hideous. Oh, hideous. Though I like the I guy mean, who they have, like, t- definitely, like, styled his house to look like that. His house does not look like Oh, that. the little guy who was also on, like, the town board or whatever. He He's the guy in the overalls who was, like, the mayor or whatever. Yeah. I was actually, like, like, now they got I'm, a Christian thing here, which sounds pretty dumb. I feel kind of hot for the Jeff Bridges lawyer. The guy who cries all the time about how it was the most love he ever felt. Yes, and his, like, and his beautiful house and his, like, the way he looked when he was young. And I'm like, I love you. I mean, I get it when he was young. When he was young, sure, like, you know, get in me. But, like, now it's just so, I mean, him crying all the time about, like, how it was the most love you ever felt. I just, these people, I'm like, it's the same way I feel with, like, people on the the Taconic. I'm like, you have to go to therapy. Like, he you was going to the, kill that people Jeff by not Bridges going to lawyer, therapy. though, he was, like, he, I felt he was the most reasonable of people who'd been through the experience. I feel like he, though he's completely still, like, the Bhagwan was everything to me. And that's, that's the thought that scares me. Because I'm like, don't you guys just see that he was, like, a sleepy Indian guy who, like, wanted to, like, have a diamond watch? He, um, all, he just, yeah, he was, like, this, it was, it's, like, the same as that, like, Scientology guy who was, like, oh, my God. I'm almost bankrupt and I've been like kicked out of Germany. I'm going to make this other thing up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's uh, wait. Oh, the part that I laughed so hard at was when they show him dead before they like burn him. And they were like, oh, his death was amazing. He was so incredible in it. (laughs) He just did the best job at his death. Like, just wow. You were just like, oh, my God. And they were like, oh, my God. And they're like screaming and freaking out what terrified me while watching the movie was I turned to Jeremy and I went, we have one of his books. And oh, Jeremy my like, What God. do you mean? And I, because when I was on Fire Island, like, years ago, this guy was like, you should read this book called Tantra by Osho. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I never Osha. read it. Osho. Osho. It's Osho. Well, I mean, I think and when I the, found whole, the, book, the whole conceit like, of the thing away right away. was, the whole conceit of the thing wasn't bad. I mean, I think he was a spiritual and an intellectual. And I think, like, somehow he found his way into – like, when they were on the 
in the, like, ashram in India, I was like, this seems great. I was like, everyone's having a good time. And, like, it seems, like, pretty liberal and smart and, like, not too brainwashy. And it's clearly for, like, people who've been through trauma and, like, need to work through it. Um, but then it, you know, it took a left turn. And really it was just designed <laughs> for, like, rich, rich white people. I mean, it, it's so – the way it is – indeed, it really takes a sharp left turn, honey. And it is going, like – and it goes up to 100 miles an hour. It is – I just – I can't – don't you feel – I'm right, though, that they don't show them. They they didn't have, like, footage of them sticking beavers in blenders, right? No. That yeah. was just in my mind. I really – I really – like, Whenever I think of the show, that's, I think of Sheila being like, you know what? I don't regret it. And, like, the videos of her in the instant, in jail and that now she works with, I think, cognitively disabled. Is that what she does now? Yeah, cognitively disabled elderly people. Basically, I think she's having – them give her a lot of money so she can kill them. That's my theory. Uh, but she I live for Sheila just being like, yep, I've gotten called back to the States and I'm going to court and I did it with a smile on her face. Um, are you ready for this? Jeremy just texted me. We got the apartment. Uh, I was wrong. See, I am always, I have no, I'm not empathic. But you know what? It's but we were having a feeling of like something bad, and then we talked about Wild Wild West, and we felt better, and then we got the <laughs> Wild Wild West. What's it called? <laughs> what wild, is it wild called? Country. Wild Wild Country. Uh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wild Wild Country. Are you ready for this, Jeremy? Also, just texted. He's putting a washer and dryer in the building. Wow. And it'll just be shared between us and the four below us. Dreams come true. I mean, it's called Wild Wild Country. It's really, I mean, Wild Wild Country really, you know, again, and to go back earlier to Money Walks In and Art Walks Out, I mean, it's the same thing with spiritual materialism. Like, remember in the Scientology documentary where it shows how they've, like, gotten away with, like, millions and millions of dollars in tax write-offs because they're like, we're a church. Yep. Totally. We should become a church. Yeah. The church of like I never thought of that. Queer pony dancing. I mean, gag, honey. We would I we would definitely have people who would enroll. Yeah. It could be called what's going on with God and stuff. Yeah. You should see, like, Jack, yesterday or two days ago, because uh, Jean-Marc Puissant is a designer who's doing Christopher's Ballet, and he mm-hmm. has also been in residence at CBA this semester, so I've gotten to know him, and being on this trip with him and, like, having conversations with him. And then he came to your show, and he also came to the Guggenheim show, and then watching him, like, explain to other people when we're in the context of them, like, how much he loved your show and how much he loved you and how, uh-huh. like, try to try to – and also, like, watching the looks on their face while he tries to explain what the show is and seeing, like, looks of, like, utter confusion. I, it's the best. Oh, I wish I could see that. That's so funny. It was so, it was wild. I posted that, like, clip of the, of Hippo from the Guggenheim. So good. And I was bummed. It got cut off before I was like, and I get it, because that's really how I felt about Monday, was when the hippo (laughs) kills the antelope. And it was just further, I was like a further confirmation of, like, 
making video content is important. It's just more people can see it. And, and that's, I've, I'm not making my, I want to make my work for people to have relief and have a sense of, and it's like, I think it's something that's so great about that we've, with the podcast is that it has been able to like, hopefully give people a laugh while they're you know, stuck for 45 minutes between like J street and hell, you know? Yeah. There's one of the designers who's here, Christine Darch, who's designing Dwight Roden's piece came up to me and I've known her work for years and really admired it. And I met her yesterday in the project runway workroom and I was like, oh, Christine Darch, it's so nice to see you. And I gave her a hug and she's like, I listened to your podcast. I was like, Oh, <laughs> I love that. I always well, I mean, a little anxious when people say that. Well, we're a real wealth of knowledge about, you know, the the what's what of who cares. Um, no, but then I immediately, like, start flipping through the Rolodex of all the people that we've t- taken down on the podcast. We haven't taken have well, we taken that many people down. I don't think we've taken Jack, people down. We've taken down things institutionally that right. um, we find uh, problematic for uh, various reasons. We don't actually have a platform that's capable of taking people down because, like, nobody cares. But and nor are we – in. I'm not also interested in taking anybody down. Yeah, what I true. am interested in is there being a dialogue about uh, what it is to – uh, make work and why are you making work? And, um, you know, I think, and what's great, and you and I have that people are, who cares about this? No one gives a shit about this. But we talk about it uh, almost every time. Like, what's great is you have a very aesthetic approach to that, which I can have. And mine is, I, I would say, a more emotive, uh, political, psychological, or, you know, at least make it funny reason. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, I think that when something, I think where we're both disturbed is when it feels like it's just for a commission or something to further someone's name. Mm-hmm. And um, because we've both been performers and know what it is to work under someone and uh, feel betrayed in that experience <laughs> or yeah. just, you know, used um, and for like a very kind of cheap gain. I mean, when it comes to pieces that we've, like, been critical of, it's, we haven't even been that critical of as many pieces as, like, we could be. I think we've only really been critical when it's been, like, what just happened? Totally. And I think it also comes out of our confusion of, like, how did it even get there? Right. Like, I mean, I think it's not – I think it's – not to say that it's important, but I, I think it's okay to point out flaws when – they feel really irresponsible. Yep. And not, I mean, like art making is so subjective and also so. I know, I, I understand the importance of art, but it's also like we, we are certainly not dictating the direction of anything and we're just like having our own personal practice. It's just, we all happen to feel really strongly about it and people's yep. feelings can get hurt. And yep. um, sometimes you just want to hurt someone's feelings. <laughs> Did you say sometimes you just want to hurt someone's feelings? You know what? That's not accurate. Sometimes that is you just, not. You sometimes it just feels like it's important to like point out something so that people well, aren't so that I love in a vacuum. You you'll be very, you'll 
what I would say for you is you will discuss things that are about like correct, you know, like, and it's not about even aesthetic choices, but I, I feel like it's a thing of, uh, you, you didn't look at this or you don't know this thing historically and you've then done this. Like when you talk about like, can people please stop doing like foresight light? And I think that that's really important. And I think, um, you know, and uh, for me, it's, I think there's a thing too that especially as I've gotten older, I find that if someone's like unkind, um, then I don't feel I'm watching art, but actually what I'm watching is them acting out. Right. Um, and that there's, I have no desire to watch people act out um their own like egoic need of whatever that is whether to like punish me as the audience member or jockey forward as like some into some kind of fame thing which it's like come on it's dance there's no fame there can be like certainly some more monetary gain i guess Mm. if you're i don't know parlay it to broadway oh i hope i choreograph for broadway someday that's what i hope that'd be fun And I hope yeah. that you're making the costumes. Last night, Joe Walsh, we all had dinner. Joe, Lauren Strongen, who's his wife, Patricia, Justin, and Harriet and I, we had dinner at this great um, Hawaiian thing. Joe Walsh and, is gay? No. And oh, he's we, so cute. <laughs> and we, so we're having this dinner, and then after it was over, Joe Walsh was like sort of marveling at how like in the context of this conversation about like Justin's carousel and everything that I and Harriet were both like, we don't like Broadway. (laughs) And Joe was like, I love that you just like said that. And I was like, well, it's true. I mean, I respect Justin and I think the work he did on carousel is great, but like I like the, the world of Broadway and what it represents is like not, it's not for me. But and and the fine. thing that's always confusing or perplexing is I I look at how many people Broadway touches though you know I mean in ah. terms of the people who are going to be touched by Carousel versus everything is imaginable is um vast in and one think, night it's vastly more you know yeah yeah and I think the thing then that is that I am. Um, interested in and but there's a historical precedent of that it's not true is will innovative forms be able to receive that platform because you have to go through the curator or you know really the producer and yeah you know people don't like to gamble they want to make safe investments I was saying to Justin last night, we were having a conversation about, like, Hamilton, for example. And I was like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, a show like Hamilton, because it, like, deviates somewhat from traditional forms on Broadway, is then heralded as, like, this absolutely groundbreaking, innovative theater making. And I'm like, no, it's not. I mean, in the context of, like, a totally populist commercial thing, maybe, but, like, this is this is insulting to people who like have been making theater and art in other contexts for years to say like oh Hamilton well, is so revolutionary. making very I would I would say more uh, contemporary uh, pieces that aren't I mean Hamilton's a musical 
I mean, it's really, it's, it is a musical and the thing that is so great about it is, uh, in terms of what it did politically through, uh, its use of, um, uh, casting and, uh, and placing hip hop and rap in that setting. Um, but it's not like the rap being used is something like even like Kendrick Lamar, you know, it's like, right. Uh, who, I mean, that'd be amazing, but it's hard to picture something like that getting a, a go ahead still. And, and I think what's hard is it has to be when producers and curators understand that audiences are ready for that and hungry for that, you know, right. I mean, and I think that's where we can look to, uh, in, indeed someone like Kendrick who it's like, well, if all these people love that and that is so innovative, then, then you can. This, these forms can blend. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's like Kendrick just got the Pulitzer. <laughs> so, oh man, it's, it's a real, it's, but again, you know, and where I heard Money Walks In and Art Walks Out is from a huge producer. So it's like who is well known of what it is to need to raise the money. And um, again, in terms of investments, people making investments. And what's exciting to me, and this is where I think video and the Internet comes in, is you can create content that can get everywhere. And um, I don't know. I'm excited. I do feel I feel in a more I wouldn't say hopeful because I don't like that word, but um I do feel that there's a change. I'm also, the younger generations just sit with it. I mean, I literally spend yeah. three days a week with them, and they get it. They see it. Yeah. And they're well, making Jack, it. Well, Jack, I'm, I'm really glad that, like, the whole experience of your past show was very positive in terms of how it was received, because it seems like you're in a good headspace. <laughs> I am. I, you know, I was really depressed last week, and even some this week I missed I think what I miss is the community that show built. And I think I talked about that in the last podcast. I don't want to retread, but I do like a community setting. I mean, I'm, I'm a pretty isolative person. You would have been one of the Rajishis. (laughs) Yep. Call, you mean just call me Sheila. Totally. I mean, you know what we got to do? We got to catch these beavers and then we got to grind them up. And and then pour them into the water source because we can't fit them through the grate. It's so amazing. I love that they thought that would work. I I also love that they poisoned people at salad bars. And it did work. (laughs) That did. (laughs) It's so good. They were like, these people are pieces of shit and they don't matter. Let's just kill them. Oh. My God, my God! You know, I wonder what it'd been like if I would have seen that documentary when I was still living in my small town in Wisconsin. You'd have been like, I'm um, gonna find these people. I I literally would have been like, next best please. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how it happens. It's like trauma survivors get, go to therapy or you'll end up in a cult. It did seem very you know? straight. There were, didn't seem to be a lot of homosexuality going on. No, that's also my. I mean. That's also my problem. That's my problem with like all TV and film, quite frankly. I mean, it's why I like circle back to Enlightened. Or I mean, it's you know, it's the the lack of 
queer characters on TV and film. I'm just like, are you kidding? Are you kidding me? My God, it's it's really tiresome. And also, then, and don't even get me started on the portrayals. How like totally one note, you know? It's just beyond. But you know, we can't we can't get into it too much. It's it's all too hard. What are you? Yeah. Um, so what are you going to do today? You're going to go to Project Runway Costume Shop. Mm-hmm. I I probably won't go there until later this afternoon. Um, I'm not sure what I'm going to do. I'm going to eat some food and uh, maybe I'll go to a museum. And, wow. Uh, I know. I'm on vacation. Are you going to see Jamie while you're there? Yeah, I'm going to contact him and have to see him. Kirsten's coming this weekend, so maybe we'll, we'll have dinner together. No, you won't, because Jamie's going to be in New York. I'm having I'm having dinner with him tomorrow. Um, Never mind. But I but you can see him next week. Yes, true. I love Jamie so much. I wish I was coming to San Francisco. I know. Oh, well. It'd be fun. I have a king size bed. Um. I wonder if I can. Are you there next weekend? No. When do you leave? The twenty fifth. When's that? Uh, oh, that's Wednesday. Like a third. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You leave on Wednesday. You leave in a week. Okay. It's um, it's good. I mean, and then I'll go this evening, and because there's going to be a first tech run through of Trey's ballet, because uh, we've already had two tech run throughs of Justin's, and then he has a dress tomorrow. So like every single of the twelve pieces has two tech run throughs on stage, and then a dress rehearsal, and then they perform. Um, but it's all really staggered because there's four different programs of three pieces each. So um, Justin's already had two, so the next one's tomorrow night, which is the dress. And then Trey's we have not yet seen on stage, so tonight we'll see that and see if there's any big problems, and we'll have time to fix it. And our our amazing builder, Colin Jones, is here uh, to work in the Project Runway workroom. Uh well, please send my love to Justin and Patty and uh, and every everyone in the company of San Francisco Ballet who I don't know. And right. um, I I so wish I was there, and I'm looking forward to hearing the interviews from people. And um, I won't be doing any interviews here because I'm just teaching and uh, and then watching student shows. And until until I drop at on May twenty second, which is also when I start rehearsals for Peter Pan. Peter Pan. Uh, Peter Poon. Um, Peter Poon. Wow. Really going to be our hashtag for the summer. Uh, I was thinking of dyeing my hair pink for the show. Oh, that'd be nice. Are you into that? Yeah. Okay. Cool. And then I think after that, you should just let it grow out white. Well, it's, you know, as white as it is, it's like, it's, great. it's not, it's really, it's, you know, it's happening. It's all. Is your costume yellow or pink? So that hasn't been decided yet because I haven't met with her yet. And I need to meet with her to be like, what's going on and stuff. I do love right. the idea since the set's yellow to have a yellow costume that I can like disappear into the wall. <laughs> right. Don't, don't boss her around though. You know, let her make the decision. I won't. I just want it to be like a, a bodysuit because I'm just in my bodysuit phase. That's it. You know, it's like okay. Martha had her long jerseys and then her woolen and, you know, but 
all of that. And I'm currently in a bodysuit phase because I'm like, well, it's, it still looks good. I need to, I need to stick with that. Um, uh, there's so many more things to talk about, but you know, it's been over an hour. We should sing the song. Okay. <clears throat> what? What? Are you ready? Go. What? Are you ready? What's uh-huh. going on with dancing? Okay. What's going on with dancing? Stuff what's dancing? happening? What's happening with dancing? With dancing? Are we on a delay? Going? Hang on. Yeah, well, what's hard. happening? I, it was a... <laughs> <laughs> That's good. That's the song for this week. <laughs> It was good. really, really amazing. That was like the John Cage version of our of our theme song. It got remixed. I really, I really like. Are we on a delay in just the middle of it? That, that's a very. It was like you know, Lori Anderson teaming up with John Cage. That was amazing. Oh, really good. Really good. Um, I love our new phone call feature. It's a really. I'm curious how it'll turn out. Well, listeners, let us know. Um, you can reach out to, out to us uh, through our website, which is what's going on with dance and stuff, um, and on Instagram, which is with dance and stuff, and yeah. um, and more later next week we'll we'll do a short phone call and uh, or I'll do a voice memo and and you'll have interviewed some people. Yeah, I hope you've enjoyed this incredibly long and tedious complaining episode of what's going on. <laughs> it wasn't complaining at all. We got to laugh about calls. You know, and I got to find uh, out I have a new apartment. Also, everybody, watch the movie Coco. It's lovely, and it'll really it'll make you think about your family and death, and it's great. And I'll also just really say, watch Lost in Space, and when you get, like, bored of the straight people, like, trying, like, struggling on the planet, you can just scrub forward to Parker's moments, because it is, oh, my God, there's... Things that she does that I had to I had to rewatch the scene with her and Selma Blair like five times. You're going. You're oh, there's going too much to struggling. It's just like one thing after the next. I'm like, can we have just it like becomes a relentless. For... It becomes. Yeah. I said to Parker yesterday. I was like, I really just want them all to die, and you'd be the only one who lives. <laughs> I mean, I was like in that first episode when I was like, are they going to kill the black daughter right away? I was like, this is this might be amazing, but. No. No. No, they don't. No. The, unfortunately, the, the death toll is not that high on the on the show. It's a yeah. family show. And what I will say is it is a great family show. Like, if I, if, you know, families need shows. And if I had to be like, what's a show for a family? I'd say this show. Really? Um, don't you think it's thing, a little violent? Not for a family. <laughs> <laughs> Not for young children, no, no. No, I mean, like, I was like, I I think, you know, I probably was like watching Hellraiser by the time I was nine, you know, it's like, no, this show is like very normal for a family. Okay. This is a normal, I mean, think about Jurassic Park. Remember that? Jurassic Park was really violent. Like, the Jurassic Park was, was terrifying and the kids are like, screaming and even um, Harry Potter gets violent even Harry Potter there's the death in Harry Potter all of it you know death um when I was a kid I used to pretend I was in Jurassic Park when I would like be in a swimming pool or other places and scream and be like ah and like do all this stuff it's another one of those things where you know 
no friends. Did you see this movie, The Orphan, with Peter Sarsgaard and Vera Farmiga and the girl with the ribbon around her neck? No, was it good? I was on HBO the other night, and I it was, no, I mean, it was odd, but I thought of you, because the little girl gives this very peculiar performance. Is it a horror? I believe so, but I had to turn it off, because it was making me anxious. Oh, I'll try to watch it then. Um, okay. All right. Well, on that note, I'll talk to you soon. I love you. Bye. We love you, everybody. We love you. Bye. Oh.